I don't want to go to a funeral when I come to church. Somebody say amen. amen. I want to celebrate what God has done. Thank you uh, to the kids and the teens for helping us lead worship today. What a blessing. It's good to see you uh, this morning. Thank God for his blessings on our church and uh, on our personal lives as we uh, go through these last couple weeks of summer and uh, get ready for school to start, all the parents said. Yes, yes, yes. Don't even act like you don't want it to happen, okay? Uh, you know you do. You know you do. Uh, and I know that uh, it's, it's just good to get back in routines and so on and so forth. What a great a group of folks here this morning. If you're a guest here, uh, let me welcome you. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor of River City Baptist Church. It's a joy to have you as our guest today. Um, if you have not had a chance, we'd really appreciate if you'd reach in that seat bo- uh, uh, back pocket in the, right in front of you there. There's a connection card. If you'll just take it and let us know who you are and maybe give us an email address or number, some way we can reach out to you. We'd certainly uh, love to know who you are, know that you visited with us, and know how we could minister to you and your family <clears throat> in the days ahead. Also, uh, next Sunday, uh, we're having the Lord's Supper. We're super excited about that. We're also going to be welcoming some new members into our church next week. So if you have already been to the new members class, but you have not joined our church you can let us know that you'd like to join, t- send me a text. Also, next Sunday at 9 o'clock, we have an actual new members class, which is an opportunity for you to get to know me, get to know a little bit about our church. It's at 9 o'clock in the morning there in my office. So, if you're new and you're trying to figure out what's going on here, that would be a great time for you to come. And so, maybe if you'll just get one of those cards and just write your name, maybe a phone number, and just put Sunday or member next week or anything like that. And we'll know uh, how to process that so we can get in touch with you. I want you to uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Philemon. Now, I'm well aware we have a bunch of children in the room uh, for which I'm actually super excited because they're a whole lot more fun than you guys are. Uh, So uh, don't worry if there's a little rattling and disturbance. That's just the way it is, and it's a good thing. Uh, I'd rather have kids running around the hallway and marking up walls and being a little loud in church rather than have no kids at church, right? Yesterday we had 118 children from our community here on our property. 50 of their parents were here. A few of them were saved yesterday and we're thankful for that. Maybe is my microphone working? I'm not sure. Uh, We had a few people saved yesterday and a, a whole crowd of people. It was amazing. And so we give God the praise for it. For those of you that uh, gave and sacrificed and certainly served, I mean, what an amazing uh, opportunity we had to bless our community with hundreds of backpacks and school supplies, and it was just awesome. So thank you. When you guys give, uh, you're giving to community outreach, you're giving to the gospel going in our community and around the world, Uh, you're giving so kids can know about Jesus, so so families can be blessed. It's a real, it's a real win. In fact, um, I had one of our missionaries send me a message this week. We have a missionary from our church over in the Philippines right now. And in the past week, he was able to see literally dozens of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you, when you give and you pray and you you serve in that way, I mean, that's going out there. So guys, we're, we're involved with a big deal here, okay? This is a big deal. And it's not just about what's going on in this room on Sunday morning. It's about the impact Uh, in our community and around the world. And I want to encourage you, maybe you're not used to giving, like financially giving, Uh, you can change that trend anytime, okay? 
Uh, and I mean that. I'm not, it's not about me. We don't, need, we don't need it. I'm not asking for your money. I'm just saying if you want to do something with your resources and, you're, and invest your life in something that matters, like people getting saved and people's lives being changed and people going around the world, then I would encourage you to begin uh, financially contributing to God's work here. And uh, there's giving envelopes in the seat. There's a, there's a station. We don't come by and, like, beg you and have ushers hold a bucket in front of you and, like, stare at you. You know, uh, try to figure out, like, what's wrong with you. Uh, we don't do that. We have stations. We trust God. It's all good. Uh, but if you want to be blessed, uh, then I'd encourage you to start giving to the Lord and to his work. And I hope you will. Well, we're studying a series of messages. Quite honestly, this is just fun for me, okay? I'm preaching my four favorite messages of all time. And so I'm, like, going back in the vault here. You say, do you not have anything better to do with your life? Yeah, I got, I got a lot of things I can do. But I, I'm, I'm getting ready for this Revelation series that starts in a few weeks. And last week was our seventh anniversary here at the church. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to go back and pick out some of my favorite sermons and preach them again. Because most of you weren't here anyways when these were preached. So um, in Philemon, I want to read uh, uh, most of the book. And if you're not familiar with this story, it's going to really be a blessing to you today. Because the story itself, I could read this and just pray and go home and say, wow, what, a, what an amazing God. But of course, I'm going to do a little bit more than that. But let's start in verse number one here. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great love and consolation in your, uh, excuse me, great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Some of you ought to mark that phrase down in your Bible. I appeal to you for my son. And there's some burdens no doubt in this room with kids and grandkids. There's a verse for you right there. There's your verse. I appeal to you for my son, whom I have begotten while in my chains, meaning, meaning Onesimus became a Christian by interacting with Paul while Paul was in jail, okay? Verse 11, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me, and I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart. Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. In other words, he's here, I'd love to keep him here because he's helping me, but I'm going to send him back to you. 
because something needs to take place. Verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Watch this now. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. Y'all just forgive me. I'm, I'm just overrun this morning. I'm just thankful. I believe we've worshipped. I believe God's been here. And I'm, just, I'm just kind of enjoying myself, so. Verse 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. I'm going to stop right there. Okay. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject. God can turn this around. God can turn this around. This week, I reconnected with an old friend uh, from Rogers, Arkansas, which is a suburb area of Springdale, Bentonville, where Walmart was started. It's kind of a really popular area of the country right now. They call it Northwest Arkansas. It's a cluster of towns that has become, uh, because of Walmart, a, a vastly populated, very wealthy community. And Years ago, I was privileged to go there and preach for the first time for a friend of mine who had recently restarted a church. In fact, back in those days, uh, it was much like this church was when we first started. And I shared some of that with you last week. Uh, seven years ago, River City did not look like this, okay? And so um, I went there, and my buddy had just started. He, he, it's an amazing story. If you're ever interested in hearing his story, uh, he, he, I just had a podcast episode on my personal podcast where I interviewed him. His name's uh, Pastor Noel Swinner. And he has been uh, through an enormous amount of suffering. He, he's got leukemia, living with leukemia. His wife was in a crippling car accident where she's been debilitated ever since, has seizures ongoing, basically has to live in a dark room uh, uh, without interruption because it just excites her brain and she goes through all kinds of trauma. In the meantime, he took a church of 10 people, moved in the church nursery, started living there just to do what God wanted to do, emptied out his life savings, uh, started preaching the gospel, started seeing people saved, he invited me to come. At that time, now they have probably about 500 people in their church, but at that time, it probably only had about 150 people. He'd been going for a few years. I'll never forget this. I landed uh, at the church that night. He picked me up. Uh, I, about an hour before the service, we drove straight to the church, kind of an older building. We started, we walked through the back and and people were gathering for the service. And I just, I would just never forget this. Everybody, we, we just, we kept going. And everybody he introduced me to, he'd say something like, hey, this is Matt. Matt just got saved six months ago. And then the person, and they'd say, and this is his wife. She got saved three months ago. And then we walk up to the next. I don't know, it's like everybody. This is, this is Jamie. Jamie was a, was a uh, meth head, just got saved five months ago. There's his wife. She got saved. There's her two kids. They, and it's like every single person in the whole church had been saved like in the last 12 months. And it was a very exciting experience to say the least. Uh, that night, there was a boy, an old, old boy there. They call it old boy, old redneck is what I mean, uh, who had, had missed the first service of this church, uh, this revival meeting. And, and he's one of those guys that got saved recently. And his buddies, 
figured he was slipping out of church. So after church that night, these old rednecks jumped in their truck and drove out to his property and went and rattled on his door at like 8.45 at night. And he answered the door. They grabbed a hold of him and pinned him up against the wall and said, what are you doing? You can't be missing church. What if we did that to you guys? And that's the re- that was the redneck way, okay, of making sure somebody was slipping. That guy's name was Michael. His wife is Velvet, three precious kids. Later on, I was able to meet Michael and get to know him a little bit and hear his story. He told me, again, a, 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 a man saved out of drug addiction, saved out of just an absolute debauchery background, all kinds of problems, started in middle school and just never stopped till he met Jesus Christ. And he, he later told me that, that sometimes the temptation of drugs and alcohol in that culture were just so overwhelming to him that, that, he, that he, he didn't always know what to do. And he didn't always win. Sometimes he would struggle and fail and, and fall back. And he said, finally, I didn't know what else to do. He said, he said so one night I was, I, was, I, was, I was under this intense temptation to go use again. And he said, I looked around me, around my living room, and there's my little kids. My oldest boy was sitting right beside me. He said, I didn't know what else to do. So I just grabbed him. And I said, hey, come on, I want, you, I want to show you something. And he put him up in the bed in, in, the, in his truck, just him and his boy. And they drove from their house out on a couple acres and drove into town. They drove into a sketchy part of the neighbor of uh, the community. And he pulled up to this really dark house where it just kind of looked abandoned. And he stopped, put the, put the truck in park, stopped and looked at his son. And he pointed uh, into the house and he said, hey, son, that right there, that house. That's the first place I ever did drugs. And he said, son, I don't want you to ever do drugs. That place right there was the first. Then he said, he said he threw it in drive and drove down the block, turned right, went another few streets down, pulled over and, and uh, in front of another house, same neighborhood, dark, dingy, same thing, stopped, put it in park, reached his finger across the sun. and said, that house right there, that's the first place I ever drank alcohol. Son, never, ever, ever touch alcohol it's terrible it's gonna mess your life up and he he did this like three times it was this thing he did and that thing he did this thing he did and he said he said then finally I didn't know what else to do so I I drove out of that neighborhood and I drove a couple miles from that neighborhood and I turned down Price Road here in Rogers and went all the way down to the end of the street and pulled into the parking lot of Gospel Light Baptist Church (laughs) and he said I put it in park and I pointed my finger at that church and he said and son that's where I met Jesus and that's where it all changed, and that's where my life turned around. And, and son, you need to, to follow Jesus with your life. You need to know Jesus. You need to be in love with Jesus. Every good thing that's ever happened to me happened because of what happened to me in that church that day. And I will say to you, friend, God can turn your life around. This story is a one-chapter story in the Bible. It's a very unique story. It's one of Paul's uh, letters to an individual. And just to make it simple for you, there's three main characters in the story. And I want to explain them to you real quick, and then I'm going to make application, okay? The first character is Paul. Paul is the author of the letter. He introduces himself in verse number one. Interestingly, as I read through here, you know where Paul is during this letter. He is in prison. It's one of four books in the New Testament that are called prison epistles, meaning Paul wrote them from jail. He actually wrote five from jail, but that's just a technicality, okay? So there's four books traditionally that are called prison epistles. There's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, okay? And Philemon is the second character. So Paul writes this letter from jail. 
He writes it to a guy by the name of Philemon that very obviously from verse 2 is a teacher, a pastor who has started a church in his home. And the, the, the letter here is, of course, addressed to Philemon at the end of verse 1. And then there's these two other brothers, verse number 2, that, that are leading, obviously, this church that meets in the home of this man by the name of Philemon. It should be very obvious when you read verses 4 through 7 that this was a good man, this was a faithful man. This is a man that Paul had a very close personal relationship with. He was a church leader. Not only was he a church leader, most obviously... He was a very wealthy and influential community leader. And here's why we know that. We know that he was a property owner and we know that he had servants or slaves on his property. Which introduces me to the third character of the story, a guy by the name of Onesimus. Now Onesimus is introduced to us down in verse number 9 and 10. And in verse 9 and 10, after Paul greets Philemon, he says, this is why I wrote you. I wrote to you about this guy named Onesimus. And you got to imagine this. Onesimus is the guy who's carrying this letter to Paul, or from Paul to Philemon. So Paul writes this letter, tucks it in Onesimus' shirt, sends him 1,200 miles from Rome, where Paul is in prison, back to where Philemon was from. And Onesimus has carried this letter 1,200 miles, likely a lot of it by foot, some of it by boat. He's now arrived at Philemon's home, and he pulls out this letter and hands it to him. And, and now uh, Philemon is reading this word from Paul with this man, Onesimus, standing right in front of his face. Now, here's the problem. The problem is Onesimus used to be a slave of Philemon and had run away from Philemon. And likely, according uh, to verse 11 and 18, probably stole some property at great cost, maybe some money, but certainly he had done Philemon wrong. Anybody here ever been done wrong before? Well, I got news for you. This message is for you, okay? Here's a man, uh, uh, Philemon, a wealthy pastor, business owner, opens up his home for a church, and loves all of these slaves and people that are under his, uh, his leadership, this one guy decides to rob him and run away from him and, and, and hightails it 1,200 miles away from his home. Now, there's a good reason why Onesimus did this because in Rome, in, in this culture, if you ran away or stole from a, an owner, your owner, you could be executed without question on the spot without trial. So when Onesimus robbed his master and ran away from his master, his life was at risk. Now, can you even imagine Paul sticking a letter in his pocket and sending him back to Philemon and saying, you need to go square this up with Philemon. You need to go make this right. You need to go take care of this. And I can only imagine that Paul encouraged him. Listen, I'm telling you, Philemon's not like every other slave owner in Rome. Philemon's a good man. He's a faithful man. And I promise you, he's going to love you and accept you in return. And that's what Paul asks. In verses 11 through 16, he asks, Philemon to accept Onesimus and not treat him any longer as a slave, but rather treat him as a brother. Then in verses 17 through 22, Paul assures Philemon that if there's been any wrong at all and Onesimus cannot pay you back, I will take care of Onesimus and his debt. Now, folks, what I just described to you is nothing short of the love of Jesus Christ transforming every single person's heart 
in this story. I'm talking about a man by the name of Paul who used to be a, a, a murderer. And now God has transformed his life through the gospel. I'm talking about a man by the name of Philemon who was wronged and hurt and injured and was robbed and was stolen from and was mistreated even though he was a good man, even though he was a pastor, and God changed his heart. Are y'all listening to me? And I'm also talking about a man by the name of Onesimus who literally robbed his owner, ran away from his owner, and, and intersected with Paul some miraculous way, and God changed his life too. I'm here to tell you today, there is no such thing as a person that God cannot transform. And now, based on this story, I want to share with you three principles from the book of Philemon that I believe will encourage your heart. Number one, I want you to see this. God can find those who are running from him. God can find those who are running from him. Friend, I want you to know there's probably people in this room that you have been, are, or have thought about running from God. It may be in your heart right now. It may be in your actions right now. But listen to me very carefully. There is a sovereign God in heaven who knows it all and sees it all. And if you think you've actually ran from God, you are mistaken because nobody can actually run from God. God is everywhere. Think about Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. But Jonah ran from the presence of God. Well, at least he tried to run from the presence of God. But here's what he found out. Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall uphold me. I'm telling you, there's no island where there is no God. There is no mountaintop where there is no God. There is no uh, 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 computer screen where there is no God. There is no private relationship developing where there is no God. Listen, I'm here to tell you, God has a way of finding people that are running from him. Look at verse 15. I love this. One of my favorite little phrases in the whole book. It says, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. For perhaps, friend, I'm here to tell you today, there are no accidents with God. You are not on your own. God is everywhere. God is in every place. God is in every circumstance. Proverbs 19, 21. There are many plans in man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Job 42 says, I know you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is in absolute control? He is in absolute authority. He is absolutely everywhere. He does absolutely whatever he wants to do. And friend, no matter what you have done in your life or anybody you know has done in your life, nobody can thwart God. I remember years ago, 1997, I think it was. Maybe it was 98. It was a year after I became a Christian, and I, I worked with an evangelistic organization uh, where we were uh, trained and sent out all summer to go into churches and do children's rallies and youth rallies. I was fortunate to be able to be a, a teen speaker that summer. I hadn't even been saved like nine months. It was crazy. I, I can't believe, honestly, they even put me out there, but they did. And so there I was, and I was preaching. I mean, I didn't hardly know two plus two was four, and Jesus was, I mean, I hardly knew anything, okay? But they put me out there. They gave me some sermons to preach, and I had the time of my life. I went to uh, Georgia, just north of Georgia. I can't, uh, now the, the, the name's the, the, uh, Gwinnett County, Georgia, just northeast, I think, of, of Atlanta. And we preached at this large youth rally there. 
And, and, and as it were, the, the, the county there was favorable toward us going to a public high school football camp and inviting all of the people to come to this rally that we had. So I went down to the football camp. They were on a water break. I gave flyers and brochures to every kid, every coach. And would you believe that night? I am not kidding. That night, buses from football camp pulled up around the church, and these football players started piling out of these buses. And, I mean, all of a sudden, we had like 300 teenagers where we had like 100 the night before. It was crazy. Kids everywhere, football players, coaches. I mean, the, the games, the whole thing changed. Everything changed, right? And I got, they were under a tent, and I was outside preaching and preached the gospel that night, and several of those kids came to Christ, and it was one of those nights I absolutely will never forget, but, but more than that, I'll never forget the head football coach for Gwinnett County High School, don't remember his name, never seen him since, but I'll never forget that night after the invitation was over and I'm kind of leaving, he walked up to me after trusting Christ as his Savior, walked up to me with tears running down his face and said, Preacher, I have been running from God since middle school and tonight I ran right into God. Friend, I'm here to tell you, maybe today, maybe today was your day that I don't know where you've been, and I don't know what you're running from, I don't know what you're trying to run to, but maybe today was the day that you ran smack right into God on a Sunday morning in Jacksonville, Florida. God can find those who were running from him. Number two, God can restore those who are running from him. There is no mountain high enough. There is no valley low enough. There is no distance far enough. There is no darkness deep enough. There is no sin powerful enough. There is no struggle hard enough that God cannot overcome. And what do we learn from this story? God saved and changed Paul. God saved and changed Philemon. God saved and changed Onesimus, the runaway. And friend, I want to tell you this this morning. God can save your runaways. As I was preparing this message, I wrote it down right here in my notes. I wrote down these words. There's somebody in this auditorium right now. You are praying right now for a lost son or daughter or a straying son or daughter or somebody that you deeply care about in your life. And you came into this church, maybe you hadn't thought about it in a while. But this morning, these words have been awakening you to this sense. Yes, you're right. I know somebody, I love somebody, I care about somebody, I birthed somebody. There's some parents in this room today, you ought to pray. Oh, you ought to pray uh, that verse, verse number 10, you ought to start praying that verse all over your room, all over your closets, all over your house. God, I'm coming to you for my son. And then plug in a name right there. Anybody out there concerned about a son? Anybody out there concerned about a daughter? Anybody out there concerned about a grandson? Anybody out there concerned about a grand? Come on. Anybody out there concerned about a husband? Anybody concerned about a wife? Anybody concerned about a sister? Anybody concerned about a brother, a co-worker, a neighbor? Come on. A relative? Anybody for that matter? Here, I'm listening to me this morning. I'm here to tell you, God can save your runaways. He can. He can. He can do what nobody else can do. And friend, we've got to believe this this morning. You don't think this book in the Bible is there for you to lick up any ounce of encouragement you could lick up from it or squeeze out any ounce of, of hope that you could squeeze out of it? God took a man, listen to this, God took a man 1,200 miles away from his problem. And watch this. Stuck him in a jail beside Paul. Well, what are the chances here, people? 
What are the chances, folks? Can you imagine? Can you even imagine? When they sat down for the first time, hands in stocks, feet tied up, Paul gets a new, fresh opportunity to witness in the cell right across from him. You know Paul didn't wait five minutes. Hey, what's your name, buddy? My name's Philemon. How'd you get here, man? You don't want to know. Yeah, I do. What's your hometown? Colossae. Oh, Colossae? You're a long way from home, buddy. Yeah, I am. Further than you know. Colossae. I've been there. Oh, really? Yeah, I started a church there. No kidding. Yeah, have you ever heard of my friend who's a pastor there in town, a guy by the name of Philemon? And can you see his face just wash white and blank and looks at him and goes, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. What's your name again? Onesimus. How do you know Philemon? Well, truth is, I was just there. Truth is, my problems all started there. My life of robbery and thievery and lying and deception and manipulation that led me to this jail cell all started back at his house because it was there for the first time I started getting comfortable with sin in my life and started doing things that I shouldn't have done, saying things I shouldn't have done, stealing things that weren't mine to steal. And he said, I ran from him. I ran from him. Can you just see Paul? I mean, while everybody else would look at this as bad news, Paul's sitting there going, oh, son, you have no idea what's getting right. I can imagine Paul's just going, you just finish what you're trying to say, okay? Just spit it out already because I'm about to tell you, I know Philemon, and you need to go back and help and, and restore because, listen, I'm telling you, you robbed the right guy. Can you imagine when Paul started telling Philemon how good Philemon is? Or telling Onesimus how good Philemon is and telling him why Philemon is such a good man and why he could count on being robbed and still turning around and being loved on and, and being accepted. And, and then Paul flips the whole thing and says, yeah, that's exactly who we all were. Actually, come on, we all were robbers and thieves and, and we were all liars and we all were uh, uh, separated from God. And guess what? The reason Philemon will accept you is because Jesus, God's son, has accepted all of us. Do you know who Jesus is? No, I've never heard of him. Let me tell you, friend, let me tell you about Jesus. And can you see across the hallway in a dingy, dark, broken up a, a jail cell, uh, Onesimus bows his head and accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, and Paul begins to disciple him. And y'all ain't even catching on what I'm trying to say to you this morning. He starts discipling him and helping him and teaching him and loving on him, and Onesimus starts serving him and getting involved. And before Onesimus goes, probably and plants his own church, he says, "There's something we need to take care of." something we need to take care of. Before we go do all that, it's time you make a trip. It's time you go back and deal with what's back there in your closet. And some of you, before you go forward, you're going to have to go backwards a second. And you're going to have to deal with what's there that you've never dealt with. You're going to have to face what's back there that you've never faced. You're going to have to settle up what's back there that you've never settled up. And sometimes people want to move forward as if there's nothing back here that needs to get fixed, nothing back here that needs to be forgiven, nothing back here that needs to be faced, dealt with. 
And thank God that Onesimus looked with a newfound relationship with God and says, I'm going to go. I'll go. If this is what God wants me to do, if this is what will make things right, if I can reconcile, come on, if I can reconcile a broken relationship, is there somebody in here in this room right now? That's exactly what you need to do. There's somebody in this room that needs to pick up a phone and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I should have never done that. I should have never said that. I should have never acted like that. I should have never cheated you like that. I'm not going to act like it happened 20 years ago and I, and I just ran from it. And you wonder why sometimes you sit in church service and there's guilt and there's shame and you know something's not right. You can't seem to make it forward at all. Maybe you need to go back just a second. And maybe you need to fix what was broken that you just tried to skirt over and act like it never happened. There's so many people that are held back today because they're not willing to face something they tried to look over in the past. I remember our first friend day in 2017. I'd only been the pastor for about five months. We planned a big friend day. Some of you remember this day. This was a huge day at our old campus. Our total number that day was 301. 301 people. If y'all would ever see that old campus, you're like, how in the world did all these people get here? I don't know. I don't know where they parked. I don't know where they came. I don't know how they found I don't know how they found a seat. I have no idea how they got there. And we fed them all too. We turned every room in that building into a dining room. It was crazy. It was crazy. And there were, if I recall, there were about 47 people that trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior that day. It was unreal. God was just doing some extraordinary things at that old building. And, uh, and that day, I'll never forget this, uh, Randy and Leah Parker came that day. And some of you guys know Randy's in heaven right now. And God, God did a work in their life. They had been out of church for years and years and years. And sitting right there, there with them was a woman by the name of Christina. <clears throat> And Christina was just overwhelmed with what was happening in the service. She had made a profession when she was a child. Her husband was estranged from her. She, they, they weren't even together. He wasn't even a Christian. And she got down on her knees that day in that church service and said, God, I want my husband back. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him back. He was with another woman. She was pregnant with his twins. She left church that day. She went over to that other woman's house where her husband was, knocked on the door. He had tried to win her back after making some mistakes, and she had stonewalled him. I don't want you back. You're good for nothing. We're done. This relationship's over. I'll raise these kids by myself. And she just went off on him, and he moved out, started living with this other woman. Then Jesus got involved in the situation, and things started changing. Y'all ain't even listening to me. I think some of y'all, y'all need to probably get in touch with your Pentecostal side just for a second, because some of y'all are not catching what I'm trying to say to you. She left that church that day. She marched down to a street where her estranged husband was with somebody else and rattled the door. When her husband answered the door, she looked at him and, and wrapped her arms around him and said, I love you. I want you back. Jesus forgave me and I'm going to forgive you. And I started seeing Johnny come to church a couple weeks later from a Jehovah Witness background. And Johnny started coming. I remember when Johnny, big old Johnny, big old Johnny, trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and came over to talk to him about baptism on that Saturday afternoon. And, and his boys and girls were out playing at a park. And, and I sat down with, with Jariah and Aaliyah and, and, and Kendra and led them to Christ. I, I, got the, I got the picture on my phone, if you don't believe me. And the next Sunday, all the whole crew got baptized. And right to this day, they are still faithfully serving God in a church, trying to help a church get planted in another part of this city. And I just say, to you, friend, God can fix it all. Amen. He 
can find your runaways. He can restore your runaways. And finally, he can change your runaways. Listen, if Jesus comes to your house, he is going to affect your personal life. How could Paul even trust Onesimus to go? And how could he trust Philemon to receive him? Have you thought about that? How could he say to this guy, the only way that Paul would have slipped that letter in his pocket and sent him 1,200 miles away is he knew two things. God changed Philemon and God changed Onesimus, and it's very clear I can trust them both. What a story. Will you forgive Onesimus? Will you let him back in? Hey, if he's wronged you, it's all good. I'll pay you myself. Put it on my account. I will take care of this. He will change your personal life. He will cause you to face uh, face your fears, as I've already mentioned, and he will enable your forgiveness. And this is what somebody needs to hear today. Paul was trusting that Philemon was going to do the right thing. He had been robbed. He had been cheated. He had been stolen from. He, he was down a worker. Bottom line, Onesimus did him wrong. He did him wrong. I'm looking at some people. There's no chance. There's no chance in a room this size that 75% of you haven't been wrong before. You know you have. And inside, some of you right now is a bitterness and an anger, and a holding on to something that is crippling your spiritual life, and you just, you're done, you're done with them, you're done with it, you're done with that job, you're done with that relationship, you're done. You are done. I got one question for you. Aren't you glad Jesus is never done with you? Thank you, Jesus. Some of you need to forgive. To forgive means to let go. Literally, the Greek word means to loose, because you know what lack of forgiveness does? It knots you up and tangles you up and keeps you from being what God wants you to be. And you know what God wants you to be? He wants you to let it go. So you tell me to forget? You're not God, buddy. Okay, you can't forget, but you can forgive. Don't let anybody tell you you can forget. Are you kidding me? There's some things you'll never forget. You're not God. God can forget, because God's God. You say, how's that work? I don't know. He can choose to do whatever he wants. He can choose to forget. And you better be thankful he chose to forget your sins and throw them into a sea of forgetfulness. That was his choice. He could remember anything he wanted to because he's God, but he chose to do that. You do not have that choice, but here's what you can do. You can let it go. You say, what does that look like? What does it look like to let it go? Very simply, I've reduced this. I think this is the best way to look at it. How do I know I've let something go when I choose not to bring it up to them where I choose not to dwell on it myself, and when I choose only to take it to God in prayer. That's when I've let it go. But if you look for every opportunity to say something negative about somebody to somebody else, and you're still blocking phone calls, and you're still unwilling to face and deal with something that happened, and and, and you, you take every chance to try to make them look bad, say something bad about them, you have not let it go, friend. You can say whatever you want to say, but if you're always looking to poison the other person over and over and over again, you have not forgiven. Today, you need to put it in the only hands that can take it away, and that's Jesus. 
And when you're hurting and you're struggling and you don't know what to do, you need to take it to him and him alone. And when somebody else brings it up, you could, I can't tell you how many times I've deleted a text, I've squashed a conversation and just said I'm not going there. And how many times I've had to purposely take a conversation and flip it positive, even though on the inside I was torn up and tormented. And I had to spin it positive not to be bitter and then take my bitterness to God and let God deal with that. See, the problem is, you're more focused on the other person. Meanwhile, it's tearing you up. This past week, we finished loading up a container to go to Haiti. Now, folks, many of y'all have given. I've got some pictures. This is a, a huge blessing. I mean, we, we filled this container up for our children's home in Haiti that had to be completely evacuated from Port-au-Prince. And taken up into the mountains of St. Michael, which is about 45 minutes south in the north part of the island. We built, our church, almost single-handedly with the help of a few other churches, built like a couple hundred thousand dollar dormitory that's now vacated. That's fun. These kids, as I've mentioned to you, are sleeping under trees. And they're, they're building bungalows as fast as they can possibly build them. You can't get food and supplies anywhere. So we, we filled up a container filled with mattresses and building supplies and rice and beans and Sent it by God's grace over there. All the shipping was covered and, you know, just praise God for that. But here's what I know. I know before then, that whole old building that God saw fit to let be vacated. All happened because somebody was willing to forgive. The first time I ever went to Haiti, I got done with the opening service and I, I stood with the pastor at his house, his Huge complex, as I've mentioned before, they have about 75 children living in their home. It's just the most beautiful thing in the whole world. And they, they, they have this home, and there's a veranda kind of up on the roof. And so at night, we would go up there after services and relax. There's chairs up there and beautiful skies and mountain range in the back of the scene. And I talked to the pastor. And, and I looked right, right down beside of his property. There was a vacant lot about the same size as his lot. Maybe, maybe an acre, certainly big enough to put a few buildings up. Of course, we're dreaming. And I said, preacher, why don't we, why don't we, just, buy, why don't we just buy that property? We'll buy it. So how much is it? And he said, I already did. I said, well, why don't you use it? He said, because they stole it. I said, what do you mean? He said, I did buy it, but the guy sold it to two people at the same time. And when he went to closing, he took the property and gave it to the other person and kept my money. I said, what did you do about it? He said, nothing. I said, what do you mean? He looked right at my face and said, I'm trusting God to take care of it. And I'm mad. I'm telling you, I'm mad. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What's his name? What's his number? Let's file you. And he's like, no, I preach it's all good. It's all good. Seven houses down from their compound was a lot about four times the size of the one right next door. And it was about two years later where he called me and said, Preacher, you're not going to believe this. He said, the guy that robbed me called me. When he called me, I told him, he, and he started apologizing. He said, Preacher, I did you wrong. I stole from you. And, and, and Casimir was saying, it's okay, man. I forgave you a long time ago. It's all good. He didn't know what the conversation was going to be holding. He said, I cannot give you the one acre right beside of you, but seven doors down, there's almost five acres, and I've already written up the deed for you. Amen. Seven doors down, 
five acres that built a huge 200-bed home for children was erected on that property because a man was willing to forgive somebody that robbed him for so much less. You say, well, how are they surviving right Are you kidding me? A guy that can forgive somebody for robbing him of $10,000, it may as well have been a million dollars in Haiti. You don't think that guy knows how to trust God up in the mountains and God will supply? Y'all ain't even hear me today. It might sideline us. It might derail us. But somebody that's got faith in God, somebody that believes that God is bigger than their circumstances, somebody that believes that God is able, God is faithful, God is forgiving, God is worthy, God is good, somebody that believes that, it's all good because they know God has got it under control. I don't have to be bitter. I don't have to let my life be ruined. I don't have to get sidelined. I don't have to quit. I don't have to stop. I don't have to be mad. I don't have to let my life be ruined when Jesus is on the throne. So, friend, you can forgive. You can forgive. You can forgive because Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray together. Christ has forgiven us. Has he forgiven you? Today, do you know for certain that your sins have been forgiven? You've been washed in his blood. You've been made clean. you become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? I can say today, there was a time in my life where I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know it. I know it for a fact. I can take you to the spot. Do you know that today? Do you know? Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior today. If you do not know that, I want to invite you to open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus Christ by faith to be your Lord and Savior. If you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you listening to me? It's a promise. It's a promise. Believe in your heart. Speak it with your mouth. Confess it. And you will be saved. That's the promise of God. So if you're here today and you've never experienced his forgiveness, you've never experienced eternal life, you do not know Jesus, I want to invite you right here, right now in your seat to call upon the name of the Lord, to ask him to be your savior, to follow him as a disciple. That journey begins by faith when you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. So right there, would you just lift up your heart, your voice if you want to, and just ask Jesus to be your Savior. I'll, I'll kind of express a prayer here that you could pray. The prayer doesn't save you, Jesus does, but you do need to call and believe, accept. And you can do that by faith. Right there in your seat, just pray something like this. Dear Jesus... I know that I am a sinner. I know I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he died and rose again the third day. Today, I accept him as my only savior. 
Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Amen. Now right there in your seat, if you prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus Christ, we're thankful for that. We want to rejoice with you. Anybody here today that would just say, preacher, I, I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm thankful for that. Would you let me know who you are so I can rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up so I can see it. Just like that. Preacher, I prayed that prayer. Meant it. Glad I did. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm thankful for that. Just let me know who you are so I can rejoice with you. I've got some things I want to get to you. Preacher, I rejoice in that decision that I made. Now I want to encourage you to stand to your feet. I want to give an opportunity for you to pray today at the end of the service. Folks have already come to pray. Maybe there's somebody on your heart. Maybe there's some bitterness. Maybe there's a need to be forgiven. Maybe there's a need to call out somebody's name. Maybe it's a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife. Somebody's run away. Somebody's not where they need to be. Let's go. Let's pray. Let's pray today. Come to the altars. Folks, that will pray with you, encourage you. God, I need to forgive. I need to let this go. I don't need to let it ruin my life. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's somebody, somebody that you care about, somebody that you love. God's saying to you, man, I need to appeal to God for my son. Appeal to God for my son.